Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take the biggest action star of the 80s and 90s, make him a drunk cop, and pair him with a story of Satan wanting to get laid? Why, you get End of Days. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Yay, it's 2018 now, and this is the very first episode of the year, and I'm very excited to be talking about this Arnold Schwarzenegger classic. Well, I don't know if you want to call it a classic, but it's the only film where, I mean, I guess you can kind of call that one film Maggie a horror movie, but it's not really, but it's the closest to a horror movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever done. Yes, he's been in The Running Man, but I don't know if I'd call that a horror movie either. And I know there's some people out there that are telling me that The Terminator is a goddamn horror movie, as well as even The Predator. Of course, then you also have to lump Terminator 2 in there, and that's a pure fucking action movie. There's not a whole lot of horror in that. But The Predator, I I can kind of see if people want to put it into that area, but to me, it's still kind of sci-fi action. So, my podcast, I'm the only one that matters. No, I'm just kidding here. Kind of. Maybe sort of. Anyway, I always wanted to do a film with him in it, and instead of going into like the sci-fi genre for a little bit, or going into uh, the fantasy genre, and going over to doing like Red Sonia or Conan the Destroyer, or Conan the Barbarian, I thought it's a new year. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the world ending once again. I mean, we had Terror Train in the last episode, and that was about New Year's, but that was more about like kids getting killed on a train rather than this is part of that whole y2k end of the year 2000s coming everybody's gonna fucking die and they're all trying to create these movies around that time about the end of the world and what was really going to happen when everything rolled over into the new millennium and surprisingly enough we're all fucking here it's 2018 now and nothing's really gone past that point right we had the mayan thing that was going on in 2012 that fucking fell through i'm pretty sure the world will end at the end of 2018 i mean one way or another either this country is not going to exist anymore or maybe the world is just going to blow itself up we're going to finally find that aliens are real it's going to get all independence day and will smith is way too fucking old to help us now so 
So for the time being, let's indulge my fantasies and let's talk about this wonderful movie from 1999. I don't know what your guys' experience with it, but I remember seeing the trailer in theaters and thinking, like, man, I was so fucking in love with Arnold when I was a teenager. Like, I could go see a lot of his crappy movies and still find reasons to like it. Erasure is one of the ones that, God, I watch that thing now, and it is absolutely horrible. But at the time, I was great. And there was that one film where he had a twin, I think it's called The Sixth Day, uh, and it's like... It's, it's not the old Arnold that you wanted to. And this was kind of within that time frame. And I was so excited to go to the theater and be like, all right, this is it. I get it. Arnold is going to fucking fight Satan. I mean, they basically give it away in the trailer, right? He's in the cathedral and all the chairs are blowing up and then something pops out. Oh, I can't wait to see what Satan looks like. I can't wait to see what the fight looks like. And then you got End of Days. <laughs> Where he plays an ex-cop. A drunken ex-cop that has to go out and protect a woman from basically uh, being fucked by the devil. That is the whole goddamn theme of the movie. I don't really ruin anything for you to telling you like what the whole plot of this thing is. Uh, of course, you know it's a lot about prophecy and and that type of thing. But I don't remember the runtime of this film, at least you know from what I remembered seeing it in the theaters. And then I sat down and started watching this film and realized that it's over two hours long. That is way too long. In fact, we get two different types of cold openings to this movie. Technically, if you really want to get really deep into it, you get three. You see, the movie opens up in the Vatican. And it's uh, in 1979. And basically, somebody sees something in the distance. And there's some weird eye like with a eyebrow over it that's in the sky. Well, it's the moon and a cloud, which is called the God's Eye or God's Eye. And there's one priest, and he's kind of sitting and looking out at the sky, and he runs over to his books, and he opens up this, like, parchment, which is in this really nice, like, tube. Like, that paper looks fucking fantastic. I need to find one of those tubes to preserve all my notes for this podcast. Because in, you know, like, 70, 100 years or something like that, one people will find these and be like, man, we gotta bring that guy back to life and make sure that he continues his podcast for everybody to listen to. So... He rushes into the room where there's a bunch of other different priests and cardinals sitting around with the Popa. And he tells the Popa, and this is all in Italian, you know, that the God's eye is here. So the prophecy is about to, you know, commence. This person's going to be born. And everybody's speaking Italian except for one dude that's, like, from New York. And he's like, the Pope speaks in Italian and is like, we got to watch out and we got to find this girl. And then the guy's like... No, we gotta kill her. And the Pope's like, we don't kill anything. And then he speaks back to the Pope in English once again and tells him that... He was chosen to bear his child. If she lives to bring about the end of days, there will be no redemption. All our souls will perish. So, of course, he wants to kill her, find her, and kill her. And the Pope, he's like, no, we can't do this. We we have to... Uh, it's not a God's will. We have to make sure that she's okay, okay? And so, yes, I know, flawless fucking Italian accent. So he decides to send one of the other priests in the room to go and find this child that's going to be born. And then it fades out. And then we get into New York uh, at the same time, six hours later, to where a baby is being born. Okay, now give me a big push. That's it, that's it. You're doing great. You're doing great. That's it. Okay, stop pushing. Stop pushing. I have the baby's head. 
Yes, okay, don't push yet. Okay, now one little push ought to finish this off. One little push. You have a beautiful baby girl. I never knew it was hospital rules to automatically just take the kid and then take him downstairs through a hallway that's basically empty, but people are still watching you push it into an elevator and then take the baby into a secret little like compartmental area where there's a guy that's wearing a pentagram who looks like, oh my god, it's that guy. Now, I mean, if you've watched this film before, you'll know who I'm talking about. The actor's name is Udo Kier, uh, and it could be Kier, or I, I think it's of German descent, if I'm not mistaken. But he's that guy that you see in those films, and you're like, oh my god, it's that guy. I don't know how to exactly describe him, but if you look up the actor, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. He's been in a bunch of random type of horror movies. He usually plays a German. He was in that movie Iron Sky as like one of the main generals of that film. He is, like, perfectly creepy and great for this role, but at the same time, who the hell lets a nurse go through a hospital wearing a fucking pentagram? Like, he's got it straight on top of his chest, and he's just there waiting. Like, and and the fact that she was able to bring this baby all the way down here, and not just over to the fucking sink, well, we have to make sure we go clean him. Now it's going to take me about an hour and a half, because I have to do this... Uh, I mean, I have to go to... I mean, uh, we need to make sure that she's nice and clean for when she comes back to you. And then she, like, takes her downstairs and takes her to, you know, Udo Weirdo over here. And fucking, like, he takes a snake, slits it open, spills blood all over on top of her. I guess snake blood is the way that you clean things in this fucking world. And then puts some of that blood into her mouth because she is chosen. She's got, like, the mark of the devil on her. And which we have to kind of understand, you know, well, we know that there's a mark at this point. I'm spoiling it, telling you that this is the mark of the devil, but they've kind of already talked about it in their Italian scenes. And so she then cleans the baby up once again and brings her back to the mother and asks her what she's going to name her. And the name is Christine. And that's when we fade over into modern day New York in 1999. And we get one of the first radio spots that kind of separate the different chapters in the movie though not really because two come really quick and the other one comes right before the end of the film wbaz time is 806 three more nights new york three more nights left in the century three more nights left in the millennium three more nights until every computer fails three more nights until the biggest celebration in the history of this city starts in times square where will you be? Who is this Casey Kasem wannabe motherfucker here? He's talking about fucking Y2K stuff happening. You guys remember that? Maybe some of you are actually a little too young to even remember this. The other thing that's really weird, too, is when they do the landscapes of New York City, and I know everybody fucking says that, but it's still fucking weird to see the Twin Towers just fucking standing there being a predominant shot of New York City, right? That's what you remember, at least for me, whenever you see images of New York City, that's automatically like the big landmark. And of course, it's always weird when you see a film 
and it's just right there, kind of in your face. So it's not one of those times where the film has come out and they decided to just remove that, you know, from it later on in its lifetime because, well, it came out in 1998 and shit was going to go down for another two years. So, of course, the Y2K thing was also huge at this time. You know, the end of the whole thing, all the computers are not going to be able to roll into a thousand. It's going to send everybody back into the fucking Stone Age. It's going to be pandemonium everywhere. Cats and dogs living together. Everybody's going to just jump out of the window like the fucking stock market is ending just because the computers aren't going to work anymore. I remember everybody had to install those stupid little bug patch fixes to hopefully get their, uh, you know, CPU and the operating system to make sure that it rolls over into the year 2000. You know who forgot to do that update right away? This guy right here, and nothing fucking happened. Everything was perfectly fine, and then I end up just installing the updates later, as it were. But... It was such a nothing thing that they were able to actually do this computing. Like, everybody just thought, oh, well, the year 2000 doesn't have anything to do. We're just going to deal with it later, and it's going to be a fucking, like, hot fix. Just like, well, just like nowadays with software, right? They release shit right now, and then all of a sudden there's a day one fucking patch whenever you install the piece of shit because they just need to make sure that they got onto the fucking market. And the way to get it on the fucking market is just make sure you get it in the fucking box and the moment that you install it says, hey, you've got 50,000 updates to fucking install. That's what this movie is. Another fucking update. Oh, no, wait. This is about the devil. Not about Y2K. So from here, it slowly turns into night, and this is a couple days before New Year's Eve is actually going to happen. And we see a couple construction guys, they're working in the sewers of New York City, then all of a sudden it starts rumbling like crazy, and there's nobody on the streets. This is the one thing about this film that really fucking bothers me. There's either a ton of people on the streets, like it normally is in New York, or in the areas they go to, there's absolutely nobody there. There are a ton of cars all parked everywhere, but... There's nobody. It's completely fucking empty. In this case, there's only the dude that is outside of the manhole cover, and there's the dude that's inside the manhole cover. Everybody else is totally gone on the street, even though you hear people screaming when everything's fucking shaking like crazy, and, like, all of a sudden they're able to get out of there, like, perfectly quick, but fire starts fucking shooting out of every manhole, and that's when Satan comes, and who knew the portal to hell lies underneath New York City? Thank you, Vend of Days. You've proven my theory right. That's where fucking hell is. So from here, we start to follow Satan as he's already popped out of the sewer, but he's kind of in invisible cloak mode. And we also get to meet Gabriel Byrne, who is the body that Satan is going to inhabit. He's going to meet a couple for dinner, and so he's kind of talking with them, and we see like a mix of Satan's weird uh, holographic shadow as well as Satan cam, where we actually get to be floating around as Satan as he's trying to find the body that he's going to take in. And we see Gabriel Byrne go into the bathroom of the restaurant, and Satan goes and follows. So I guess Satan's kind of a perv, but it makes sense in the whole, like, overall theme of the movie. So he goes in there, and he possesses Gabriel Byrne's body in this really weird and awkward sequence, where Gabriel Byrne makes some really horrible faces, gets thrown around, and yet again makes tons of noise... But nobody comes to see if everything is okay. Like, the amount of noise that he makes would make anybody rush to the bathroom. Or I guess New Yorkers really don't give a shit about anything else that's going on except for what's going on around them. And I'm sorry that the people that I know that are from New York, but this seems to perpetuate that stereotype a lot. A lot. Like, all the fucking time. Like, nobody gives a shit that anything is going on. And it's really fucking annoying. So, he possesses Gabriel Byrne. 
and he comes back out and he goes to the table where the two are sitting and then he straight up just reaches over starts making out with the wife and popping out her boob so everybody can fucking see and just grabbing on it fondling it the husband looks over and he's like what the fuck are you doing and then he just gives him that stare and the dude shuts up continues to do whatever molest and fondle the wife and then he leaves and she just kind of looks at him but he makes sure that he neatly puts her breast away Satan then leaves the restaurant and starts walking out into the middle of the street. Now, I know that's not what his name in the movie is, but the character name in the movie that Gabriel Byrne plays really fucking sucks. He's called The Man. Like, seriously, he's possessed by Satan. Why not just call him fucking Satan? Do you not want to call him? And the action never calls Satan by Satan in this film. It's just that one, you know, like the evil darkness or whatever you want to fucking call it. It's horrible like just call him what he fucking is he's the fucking devil okay so from this point on he's always going to be referred as satan just so you know so satan starts walking down the street then all of a sudden the building blows up and there's like nobody around that does anything a bunch of people just got killed there are a couple cars in the street that just keep driving it seems like like There's two taxis, and taxis are all over the fucking place in this fucking movie, and they're just driving along, and then it explodes, and it pushes them a little bit, and they keep driving forward. Nobody stops, nobody, like, walks out, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, and sees him walking from the fires. Really nothing happens at all, I mean, Satan, he just kind of walks out of the flame, you get the little smirk on his face, and then it starts fading into morning, where we get the second radio spot of the movie. You're on Gotham Talk. Say something interesting. I'm trying to figure out what everyone's predicting here. Is the world going to come to an end at exactly 12.01 on New Year's? Or is it I'll gonna- tell you what, lady. I think you should play it safe, not quit your job just yet. Tell you something else. In two more nights, this place is going to see the wildest party ever. We're going to be there with the first hundred callers. We're going to make the most noise, and we're going to be the craziest. And if the world comes to an end, well, what the hell? We're all going to be together. And if it doesn't, and I don't think... So as the radio signal slowly fades out into this darkened room, we see that Arnold is sitting there, and he's got a bunch of booze bottles around, and he's got some pills there, and there's a gun in front of him. He grabs the gun, he looks at it, he's got one bullet in it, he takes the gun, he puts it up at his temple, and then there's a knock at the door. We get introduced to his best friend, who's played by Kevin Pollock, And again, the character that he plays is named totally different from what he gets called in the film. Now, I'm not going to say it right away because there's one scene that's in the movie where you actually hear him call him by his, well, I don't know if it's like a friend name or whatever it is, but the character for the most part in the credits on IMDb in most places is called Chicago. Though, again, Arnold's character calls him something different. Arnold's character also goes by the name of Jericho. Or Jer for short. See, I really didn't know that his full name was Jericho until much, much later in the film when one of the other characters said it. And I'm sure that there's some type of relation to something in the Bible and naming him Jericho. The only thing I could really find was the tale of the Battle of Jericho where Joshua sent some spies into the city and then they ransacked it and saved just one prostitute because she, you know, she was all like, oh, I'm going to harbor your spies. And they were like, oh, well, 
we don't have to worry about you, prostitute. Even though you go against God's law, you still believed enough to harbor these people for us, so we're not going to kill you. And I don't think Arnold's character is a fucking prostitute. He's just a guy that has kind of given up on life because something tragic has happened to him. That I bet you all know what it is. I mean, if you've seen it, of course you know what it is. But at the same time, it's something that, like... It's so fucking cliched why he goes down into this, like, drunken mess nightmare of a situation of a man. And I remember when this movie came out, and I remember watching Siskel and Ebert, and they were talking about this film. And the biggest thing that they had a problem with was the fact that Arnold's character just was not likable. because, Or that I should say that he wasn't savable. Um, and maybe I'm totally wrong and I'm thinking about another reviewers, but I could have sworn that this was them. So please, if I'm wrong, let me know. But I know I heard this somewhere and basically because he was such an unlikable man, it was hard to find like how he could be saved or root for him for the entire movie because, Hey, he's just a drunk fucking jerk. And what other connections do we have to him as the main character in the film, especially since he's going to go out there and fight Satan anyway. So Going on further with the film, he gets interrupted by his friend Chicago, and of course, he realizes that something's kind of amiss with what's going on in the situation, and he starts to tell him about this job that they're going to do, and of course, Arnold really likes that situation because, as he puts it, scumbags, they pay much better. I was just putting myself together. <laughs> That's going to take a lot more pulling. Oh. You are looking very sharp this morning. Thanks. You're welcome. You have about five minutes to get ready. Here. There's enough caffeine in this to kill an elephant. How to get you started. So what's the day? Transport. Anyone special? Now just some Wall Street scumbag. How the hell does he need all this protection? Well, I guess he fucked with some people that didn't like being fucked with. Personally, I like scumbags. They pay better. So he starts to put together his shit smoothie. I mean, he puts the coffee in the damn blender, and then he throws in like some eggs, some bananas, a whole like... It looks like a fucking shoe gets thrown in there, and he just mixes it all up, and this is down the hatch. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin Pollock actually finds the gun that he was going to kill himself with, and he realizes that it's another one of those days, and he's glad that he was able to get Arnold out of the situation. Flash forward, and now they're transporting whoever this guy that they're supposed to take care of. And they work for a company called Steel, which is like a security organization. And again, there's like a cavalcade of them. There's a ton of like helicopter. Well, there's one helicopter that's flying around. But there's a ton of security going down the New York streets. And all it is is really filled with a bunch of fucking taxi cabs. Taxi cabs everywhere, blocking every lane. But these armored cars are just going through the fucking street. And the one limousine that's going through. And everybody's just like, okay. And especially when he gets out of the car and he's like, okay, I'm going to watch the parameter. And they're like, nobody's like, man, what the hell's going on here? Who could it be? There's also the creepy guy from the trailer with the white dreads, like the blonde dreads. Uh, and he looks over and that's it. It's basically really, really quick. But we'll hear from him in just a little bit. Uh, so he 
gets out of the car. They start to get the guy out of the limo. And it turns out that, hey, it's Gabriel Byrne. So he's basically being a bodyguard to Satan right now. And then somebody from the top of one of the buildings, right before Arnold's able to notice it, Jer, he knocks Satan out of the way. And he's able to get him back in the car. And the car just kind of rushes forward, crashes, but disappears. He's shot. Jer is shot. But he's shot in his bulletproof vest. And Kevin Pollock's character, Chicago, is like, oh my god, make sure he's not dead. And then all of a sudden he's like, did you remember? Did you remember? And yeah, he remembered to wear his bulletproof vest. So we get the first, like, fake out of the film. And technically, if you want it, this could be another fucking opening of the film. In fact, you could do a cold open directly from the time that Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up in his little room and then go through. So we could have had, what, four cold opens to start this film? The one with the priest in the fucking Vatican or the kid being born. You could have started right there. Or you could have started with Satan fucking coming out and, you know, setting the bomb off by turning on the weird silicone shit that's in that lady's boobs. I mean, what the fuck were in those things anyway, right? Like, did she get the wrong fucking implants and that's how the fucking place blew up? Or, like, he's just very good at making big giant fucking explosions with spontaneous human combustion. Some stupid shit like that. Or, you start right when fucking Arnold comes on and he's, like, in the dark... And it might have made things a little more interesting instead of we need to introduce all these weird characters in their own special way. The Vatican people, the baby as she's being born, uh, the two creepy people that are Satan worshippers that are underneath the hospital verifying her, Satan himself, we ought to know when he comes out. Uh, and, you know, Arnold with his tragic life that he's a fucking drunk and pill popper and wants to fucking kill himself, but yet he manages to pull himself out. And still protect Satan from getting shot. I really don't know where I would have started the film, to be honest with you at this point. I might have thought of starting the point actually when we have Gabriel Byrne. I think that that might have been a good starting point for this film, just in general. Because the scene is pretty powerful. To just have him all of a sudden, those you see those two workers, and maybe you start with the first radio bit. And then all of a sudden the fire shoots from the ground, here he comes out. And he takes over the body and you go from there. At least leaves it a little bit interesting of and kind of a mystery of what's going to come. Like, why is Satan here on Earth? I know trailers told us most of what was fucking going on. But in that case, I feel that it's a lot more, like I said, interesting to... And I hate that I keep using that fucking word over and over again. But it definitely draws you in better to this film, in, in my opinion. And it shaves a good 15 minutes off the beginning of the film... Because this movie is fucking long. Uh, But you could also maybe even start with the Arnold thing. And you could even go back, if you did start with Satan first coming to Earth, you can explain the backstory stuff that actually happened with those people uh, a little later on in the film when we actually meet the grown-up Christine. So it's kind of a weird bag when you think about the beginning of this film, the fact there are four different fucking starting points that all make perfectly good sense but I think being arranged might have made it a little better. Now that I'm off my starting point high horse, let's get back to what's going on. So we get a big action sequence that actually is pretty fun. See, Jericho, he sees the shooter up on the fire escape, and he decides that they've got to start going after him. So what does he do? He calls a helicopter down, and with the helicopter, he starts climbing on all of the cars. Again, the, like, 
50 fucking taxis that are all just stuck there in traffic and just looking forward and still slowly driving. Meanwhile, him and Kevin Pollock, they're fucking climbing to get into the helicopter. The helicopter's about to go down so low and nobody seems to give a fuck. They're all just fucking standing there or sitting in their fucking cars, not even looking at... Even me... I would have probably been like, holy shit, why is this guy on top of my car? At least, like, have the extras do something. Don't just have them fucking just like, okay, we have all these stunt guys. We're going to do this little scene uh, and where, you know, Jericho, he gets on the helicopter to go start chasing this guy. But at the same time, like, have somebody, even a fucking off-camera go, hey, what the fuck you doing, man? You ruined my fucking car. You know, whatever you want to do, whatever shitty fucking New York accent you want to do, I mean, it's not as good as my Italian accent, let me tell you that. But something, give, like, some type of realism to the surroundings that you have here. Instead, you've got people that are just obviously sitting in their fucking cars just to drive fucking forward. So he gets onto the helicopter along with Chicago, and they start flying after this shooter. And they're like, well, you need to land on the roof because we need to be able to catch him. And the pilot is just like, gee, I can't fucking do it. It's too low. Yeah, he talks like fucking Ray Romano. So (laughs) instead, Arnold has the great idea to just get low enough. And he jumps off the helicopter while being attached to a wire and all of a sudden the guy that the homeless dude that's been firing at them uh he starts making a run for it arnold is able to catch him up to him by being at the bottom of the cable and the helicopter flying forward and right before the crappy old man decides to jump off the roof arnold grabs him and they struggle uh but you know, homeless dude, he still has another gun. And so he starts fighting at Arnold in some of the worst green screen that I've seen in a while. But again, that's probably because I'm watching an HD movie, well, an HD version of the movie when the movie was not really filmed for this type of screen. So you see a lot of the imperfections when they do a lot of the stunts very close up. Nowadays, you'd still have it, but it'd be blended really well where it wasn't blended so well here. Maybe it would have been pretty good in the theater. I remember this being actually a very fun scene, and it truly is. It's like a pretty decent action scene and when he jumps out of the helicopter it's kind of exciting and when he's chasing him it's a little silly because he's like oh my god i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you and like the helicopter can go so much fucking faster than that dude can fucking run you shouldn't have to grab him the last minute the gunfighting thing is okay but it's kind of silly at the same time and it gets to the point where you know arnold's able to fucking matrix his way past the bullets that are being fired at him in the fucking head and he drops the guy after them both dropping to a, a certain lower point, And the guy drops through a, like a glass ceiling onto like a flower cart. Or some type of like florist boutique thing on the side or where the fuck it is. And then finally you do get some reactions from some of the extras that are around there. And you hear a, an audible... <gasps> The homeless dude is able to actually get up and start running away. Arnold repels the rest of the way and decides to go ahead and follow this guy down into the subway tracks below. When he finally confronts him, the guy turns around and he speaks to him some of the prophecy that he knows uh, of what's going to happen. A thousand years has ended! A dark angel is loose from his prison! Get down on the ground and put your hands behind your head. You don't know what you've done! Get down or I'll put you down! A thousand years has ended! You don't know what you've done! And then he proceeds to shoot him in the fucking kneecaps. 
I thought that was pretty cool, to be honest with you. Like, he literally is like, I'm going to put you down. And then he does really put him down. He shoots him in the knees. The guy passes out. And then the cops show up to help clean up the scene. We then get introduced to one of the detectives that's now come up on the scene. And supposedly she knows both Chicago and Jericho from before. And she wonders whether or not he's still drinking because there's something very odd about the guy that they found. You see, before she starts talking to them, Arnold realizes when he grabs his neck that he's wearing a priest's collar. And I think we're led to believe that this is the same priest that we met from the beginning of the movie that was meant to protect Christine, uh, who is destined to fuck Satan on New Year's Eve. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry if I'm ruining that right now, but... Again, that's the fucking theme of the movie. Anyway, they begin to talk because she found something interesting about Father Thomas as well. She doesn't look happy with her statements. She just killed that son of a bitch. Let's pick the look. Hey, Detective. Bobby. Yeah, Jerry, it's been a while. Hey. How are you, Marge? Can't complain, you? It's a nice day to jump out of a helicopter. Ah, just doing my job. Now, listen something i gotta ask you yeah what is it you still drinking oh yeah we got all liquored up this morning we start every day that way i'm just reading his statement you said here the guy spoke to you yeah so what the guy doesn't have a tongue what there's no tongue why don't i just leave that little detail out for now no big deal right are you saying that I imagined all this? No, I'm just safe. Well, I saved the life today. What the hell did you do? I let it go. No, no, I know what I heard. You didn't just save a life, Jericho. You fucking saved Satan. And you don't even realize what the fuck you've done by doing so. I mean, you took a bullet for the devil. I mean, he's probably fucking glad that you did it. But then again, he really can't be fucking killed. So if you had just let him get shot, nothing would have really happened, I guess. So I guess you really didn't do anything that cool, Jericho. So they figured out that they have to find where the priest uh, came from and why he's doing what he's doing. It's just some sick fantasy that Jericho really has. Because honestly, as a security guard at this point, you save somebody's life, that should be the end of the case. But he has some deep-seated meaning to it because he saw the priest caller, and then he also saw this matchbook that he's holding on to that had at the location of a bar, I guess, that he regularly visited. So they go over and they start asking questions, and the bar owner tells them exactly where the guy used to live. There's some quip in there about how Arnold is a drunk, and he knows exactly how these things work with bartenders, especially if you go there all the time, and there's, you know, ooh, I have a lot of experience, and it's just fucking... uh, It really seems to be a staple in these, like weird action movies like this like they have to throw in some type of like situational banter between these two characters but his him and the best friend or or whatever it is it seems like Arnold always wanted to have some type of really stupid like one-liner or quippy type of thing to say and it feels a little forced to have it in at this moment in the movie in my opinion I mean it could have just been cut out But they go down into this, like, really dank and dark, like, apartment building that supposedly this priest has been living in. For some reason, there's no such thing as a light switch until some other people arrive in a little bit. Uh, Otherwise, they're constantly looking around the apartment, and there's something on one of the walls that Arnold finds really interesting. Listen to this. I've seen the earth laid to waste. I've seen the horror to come. Isn't a sin to wish you were never born? The thousand years have ended. Twenty-seven. Yeah. 
friends in a football score. That's nice. Yes, Kevin Pollock, you're there to be the comedic sidekick. I get it. You're making little jokes here and there. Actually, you know what? I really like Kevin Pollock, and I do like him in this film, too. Uh, it's just, like, it seems a little bit forced, and at sometimes this seems like this is one of those Kevin Pollock, I needed money type of movies, so I'm going to be in this because it's probably going to make quite a bit of money since Arnold Schwarzenegger is our big drawing action star for this film. So they look around the shabbled apartment a little more. They manage to find the priest's tongue that he did cut out. And then there's actually a pretty good cat scare when Chicago goes to open up the fridge to see what's in there. And then all of a sudden there's a black cat that does his little... And then jumps out at him and jumps towards the screen. And I wasn't really expecting it. And it got me a little bit, to be honest, even though I was watching it at home. Because it was, like I said, so unexpected. But inside, there's a weird, like, pickle jar with no pickle juice, but a picture of a girl. And then we flash over and we see that there's this girl. She's walking over to a grave. She's putting flowers down. I'm assuming that this is Christine. In fact, we all probably know who this is. And she puts uh, down flowers in front of a grave which is for her mother and her father. And then we cut back over into where Jericho and Chicago are looking in the apartment, and they're talking about how they have to find this girl in the photograph. This guy is no ordinary hitman. No, this one's extraordinary. Let's get the hell out of here. This place is making me itch. Sus! How the hell did you two find this place? Lucky guess. So what did you find out? His name's Thomas Aquinas. He's a priest. Why don't you tell us something we don't know? A homicidal priest. That's good. Yeah, well, it gets better. He studied at the Vatican. He was one of their alleged visionaries. Came here in 81 to St. John's Church downtown. Six months ago, he disappeared. Priests there say he was having a spiritual crisis. Oh, yeah. That's what this is about. Spiritual crisis. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, what's a priest doing shooting at a Wall Street banker? A Wall Street banker, by the way, who suddenly disappeared. Maybe we should ask the girl. What girl? Uh, the guy. The, the, the guy. <clears throat> priest guy. There's five million women living in New York City. How are we going to find him without a name? Of course you make the mistake of saying the girl instead of the guy. And then you proceed to talk about the girl with the two cops as you're fucking walking out of the place. So it's like clear as day that you know something else that these cops don't know. And how you can stay one step ahead of the cops. Well, one, by stealing evidence from every fucking scene you go into. Seriously, every time that something goes on, these cops are fucking clueless. And he's able to steal a piece of evidence from the fucking crime scene to help him get to his next point. So, we see them exit, and we go back over to Christine, and she's starting to get on the subway to head home. And that's when we get that creepy scene from the trailer, except for this time, it's a little less censored. Look, I already gave you some money. Can you just move on, please? He's coming for you. He's coming for you, Christine. How do you know my name? He's gonna fuck you. He's gonna fuck you, Christine. Can you see him? Can you see him? That's right, it's that blonde-haired guy that we saw earlier in the film, and the one from the trailer. Like I said, it's not very PG as it was in the trailer, especially since it's like, he's gonna fuck you, he's gonna fuck you, he's gonna fuck you. I think at least four fucking times in that little span of 
dialogue that he had and the only dialogue he has in the whole movie because he turns into like what she later calls porcelain but it kind of looks like glass and when she goes to grab him he just completely shatters it goes back over to arnold he's back in his house and he's looking at things he's first gargling some fucking vodka and then he starts looking through his stuff so we get a little image into his sordid past he has a bunch of items that he looks at one that includes like a little like music box type thing i'm not exactly sure what it is it could also be just like a porcelain jewelry case or something like that and then he gives the worst fucking like crying face that i think i've seen in a movie he's trying to be super emotional and be like oh my god i'm so hurt and pained for something that's happened in the past but really it just looks fucking ridiculous from here we go and we see Christine's now back at home, uh, and she lives in a really fucking nice place. I mean, like, this is balls to the wall, one of the nicest houses I've ever seen depicted in New York City. And it's amazing what she has there. Everything seems like it's just been given to her, even though her parents are fucking dead, which is very, very odd. So she runs upstairs, you hear a voice in the distance calling out to her, hey, what's up? And she's like, no, I need to make a quick phone call. And that's when she calls her doctor to tell him what's been going on. And we see a very familiar face in the middle of this clip. Now, you'll kind of guess at that point when the reveal happens, but it's a doctor that we saw earlier in the film that was, well, sacrificing a snake over her baby body. Hello, is Dr. Abel in place? It's Christine York. Christine, listen to me. We've been over this before. It's a terrible thing to lose your parents. I know it was a long time ago. The holidays always make something like that feel much worse. Understand, these dreams are your creation. There's nothing real about them. You control them. They don't control you. Take another Xanax to relieve your anxiety. You're fine. Trust me. Another vision? Why didn't you tell me? I didn't want you to worry. I'm your stepmother. It's my job to worry. No big deal, really. Just someone on the subway car turned into porcelain and shattered. What's wrong with me? Why do I see things? Why am I so different? You don't know how special you are. You're better than everybody else. Just remember that. I don't want to be better or worse. I just want to be normal. I want a normal life. You have to have patience. All good things will come to you. You'll see. That's right. You're not normal. You're meant to be the receptacle for Satan's baby goo. You're just going to lay there. He's going to fuck the shit out of you. Put his child up in there so the end of days can be fucking brought. I mean, that's better than being normal, right? I mean, your whole purpose in life is just to be raped by fucking Satan. I mean, that's great. I mean, I guess that would be great for a Satanist. And you can hear there, if you recognize the voice from early in the film, that's the one that washed her off and took her away from her mama. So there is a little information about them later on, so I won't ruin how she's in her life and how she's controlling her at this moment. I'll just ruin it later on in the podcast. We go back over to Jericho, and now he's arrived at the church that the Father Thomas was working at before he went fucking crazy. He runs into some of his colleagues, and he begins to ask him about what Father Thomas was looking at and the fact that he actually went crazy. We get a little bit of backstory for Jericho in terms of what his beliefs are, especially when he's confronted with what this could possibly be. 
I've already told the police. Thomas was a friend of mine and a colleague. He had nothing to do with what happened today. Well, there was no one else on that fire escape. You don't understand. I understand getting shot at, and I don't like it. He shot at you? No, he shot at my client. And I happened to get in the way. Who's your client? Well, that's irrelevant right now. What I want to know is why would a priest try to kill someone? Listen, you've been drinking. I've got 14 years sober, and I can spot that. Well, good for you. Your friend and colleague. Was he working for someone? Yes, he's working for God. So God ordered a hit on an investment bank. There's an awful lot that you don't know. You think you're seeing everything? You haven't. There are things you never dreamed of. There's another world out there. Thomas saw it, and it destroyed him. Well, I've seen a lot too, but there's nothing that will make me cut my tongue out. Yeah, well, wait a few days. What happens in a few days? Did Thomas tell you about a girl? No. I see. Do you believe in God? Maybe once, but not anymore. What happened? We had a difference of opinion. I thought that my wife and daughter should live. And he felt otherwise. So that's Rod Steiger. If you don't know who he is, he was in a bunch of films way back in the day. And this is probably one of the more, I guess, notable roles. Uh, And it was very close to him passing away. He passed away in 2002. And this is one of the last big films that he actually did. Of course, you could always call maybe one of his last movies The Last Producer. But that doesn't seem like a movie that a lot of people really knew about. I mean, he was in like Pool Hall Junkies and a couple other little films and minor roles. But this was probably one of his last like major, major roles that I can remember him being in, in at least a theatrical film. So he basically tells him to go away and he goes into the back room and Jericho, of course, follows the priest. He goes underground. There's some random woman down there with stigmata. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? They're like, you don't understand what goes on in the other world. And, of course, Jericho just fucking leaves. From here, we cut over and we see that Udo is busy having dinner with his family. And he's talking to his daughter and his wife. And his daughter's like, well, I just don't want to go back to this college for blah, 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 girl problems, blah, 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 blah. I don't really care about this character. The only thing I know is that fucking Satan is finally fucking showing up to one of his fucking followers and enters the house. And that's when things get really fucking weird. It's you. I didn't Where is she? The girl is safe. I'm one of the world. Everything is as planned. Our acts go unnoticed, unquestioned. We're everywhere. Daddy, who is it? Is this your daughter? Yes. This is your wife? Yes. All right, so let's fuck. And that's what he does. Satan fucks both his wife and the guy's daughter at the same fucking time. And this is probably one of the worst uses of music in any fucking movie that I've ever fucking seen. And I remember looking at the soundtrack and thinking like, oh great, corn is on here, Everlast, Guns N' Roses, Rob Zombie, oh, Eminem is on the soundtrack too, Power Man 5000, Nobody's Real, that's great. Oh, and Limp Bizkit is on here too. Man, even Creed is on this fucking soundtrack, okay? But 
Limp Biscuit. Where are they going to use the song? How could we possibly hear that song? Oh, it's got to be in like some like fucking like chase scene, right? And or or it's going to be in like they're going to fight and they they chose one of the songs that maybe could mash in a little bit, you know, when it was a little bit harder and you had the you know the Fred Durston rapping there and oh my god, maybe it's actually going to be pretty good the way they use it. You know where they fucking used it? This fucking sex scene. That's right. There's nothing sexier than watching Satan being played by Gabriel Byrne fuck two people, completely just covering the mom. Like, she doesn't show anything. But the daughter, fuck, the young actress, make sure her tits are fucking out there because that's just the way that it's got to go. And you know what's going to make this scene even somewhat sexy? Fred Durst rapping over on top of it. That is what's going to do it. We're going to play some fucking Limp Biscuit while they fucking get it on. And then we see the mom and the daughter. They're so fucking hot because Fred Durst is just blowing sick fucking beats over this fucking fuck scene. And then he, like, they start melding together. Like, the mom and the daughter start making out and then start, like, becoming one while Gabriel Byrne is still on top of him. It is the weirdest fucking scene. And the only bonus is, you get tits. That's it. You get Limp biscuit and tits. And weird fucking shit. I don't really know what else to say about this. And and the other thing is, is I'm still waiting for Gabriel Byrne to turn on the fucking charm being fucking Satan. And he really hasn't said a whole lot up until this point in the movie. And he still really doesn't for a while. Uh, but I'm, I promise you when he does, it's going to be fucking magical. Just like Fred Durst. So towards the end of the sex scene, uh, you see Gabriel Byrne turn his head and look towards the camera. And then we go into the mind of Christine. And she's imagining that she may be the one that's on the bottom there. And of course she kind of freaks out once again. Night then fades into day, and we get another radio little spot to kind of transition us into the next act of the movie. Throughout the country, the National Guard has been put on alert as a precaution in case Ralph local Giuliani urged all citizens and police to stay calm during this holiday season. Yet for how blood on the hands of the Christ Child, depicted in Michelangelo's famous sculpture of the Pietà. In of fear and panic, random acts of violence are being attributed to satanic cults who seem determined to disrupt New Year's celebrations throughout the world. Okay, so satanic cults all of a sudden are becoming a thing? I thought they were fucking hidden. According to Udo back there, nobody knows that we fucking exist, and everything's going as according to plan. Nobody knows what's going on. Maybe it's their little society, but the other Satanists out there are fucking it up for these guys because the radio is fucking declaring that, hey, Satanists are doing shit, and you need to watch out and be fucking careful and be fucking vigilant about these guys. But, oh no, Satan, everything's going fucking fine. No worries about anything that... That could possibly harm your fucking existence and your will to go on and just randomly fuck other people. In fact, you know what? It's going so well, and I'm not going to deter myself from uh, anything that you do. You can go and merge my wife and daughter into one being, because we're all going to be fucking destroyed anyway. So you might as well fuck them and do what you want with them. Because, hey, being turned into a cuckold by Satan is A-OK with me. Just don't listen to the radio, because the radio is going to tell you exactly what we're fucking doing. So Satan decides that he's going to go visit Father Thomas in the hospital. And he does. Uh, he approaches a cop that won't let him through. But then he t- says something about him and young boys. And 
it was very odd in like you will you belong with me is basically like your actions and thoughts and what you're doing and seducing these young boys is uh perfect for you to be under me you know i love it and but you need to let me through like that type of thing but i couldn't get if he was trying to say that he was a pedophile or if he was gay and like if he was a pedophile i'm kind of not okay with people being pedophiles don't get that fucking straight right now uh but i'm kind of okay if he's that's the innuendo that he's giving right but if it's because he's gay and he likes young men that is a little odd and i don't like the way that's written even for 1999 i'm gonna take it the first way but I did have to rewind that scene a couple times to kind of understand what it might exactly be that was going on there. So he goes and he visits Father Thomas, and first he tries to kill him with secondhand smoke. He basically lights a cigarette, opens up the little thing, and blows in there. And Father Thomas, he's stuck to the bed because he's been arrested by the police while they're waiting to be able to, you know, talk to him and figure out exactly what he was trying to do. We cut real fast because we see that Arnold and chicago they're talking as they're coming up down the hallway to where father thomas is because they do want to talk to him they're like well he can't speak but he can write can't he see again little mini jokes here and there that sometimes are kind of chuckle worthy but not really and they step into the room and then we see that father thomas has been crucifixed to the ceiling we cut outside for a second and we see that satan is sitting out there watching some tvs and he accidentally knocks into a kit the kid gets kind of upset, and when Satan looks down at the guy's shirt, he has a shirt on or a sweatshirt on that says Satan Rules. And of course, this prompts one of the funnier moments in the film. Hey, I like the shirt. Screw you, man. So yeah, he basically kills the kid because the kid is being an asshole to Satan, even though he really loves the shirt that says Satan rolls. It's probably one of the moments in the film where I really started to like what Gabriel Byrne was going to eventually do with him being Satan. You see, in the same year, he was actually in Stigmata where he played a priest. And it's a much different role than what he's playing here. And it seems like he's actually having a lot more fun with this than he did in that film. We go back into the hospital and we see that Jericho is arguing with the cop that let Satan through. And of course he's trying to figure out what exactly happened and how this fucking happened here. I'm telling you, no one entered the room. Maybe he did it himself. Then how did he get the last scalpel in? Oh my God. It just keeps getting better. I've never seen anything like this. I think this is written in Latin. When the thousand years has ended, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Uh, this next part is not clear. I, I, I think it's in English. It says Christ, uh, Christ in New York. So, 
one, how does that doctor know how to fucking read Latin out of the middle of nowhere? I've never seen anything like this before, but it's Latin, and somehow I know how to fucking read Latin, even though I'm just a fucking doctor here that was taking care of him, and we don't have good enough security to have fucking cameras everywhere where you can see Satan fucking just walk in and the guy let him in. Like... Nobody bothers to fucking look at these things. Like, they don't have these in hospitals at this point in 1999 in New York City. You would think they would have some sort of fucking video surveillance that would say, Hey, there's this dude walking in. But again, also a hospital filled with fucking nurses and doctors and other fucking people walking around. Don't notice when this guy goes over to an area and a cop fucking lets him in to the goddamn room. Oh my god. It's just so annoying. Nobody does anything in this film. They see shit happening and yet whatever. The only people that know anything are the fucking people on the radio warning people about fucking Satanists. They're the only ones that are actually fucking doing anything in this town. So Jericho and Chicago leave the room and that's when Jericho man becomes the best fucking police detective that is not a fucking police detective where he realizes that Christ in New York isn't what it actually means you okay the guy cuffs words into his chest someone else nails him to the ceiling what's not okay so where are we going the girl I got to talk to her, find out what she knows. Wait, wait, we don't have a name, all right? That would help. Well, maybe we do. Maybe it's not Christ in New York. Maybe it's uh, Chris in New York, Christine in New York, Christine York. And let's run up the DMV, check and find out if any of those names come up. I love Christine York. Sometimes you're border on competent. I know, it's scary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How in the fuck did he do that? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, maybe it does something else. Oh, maybe it's Christine. Or maybe it did. Or just have to be Christine New York. Are you fucking kidding me? You are able to just put that together that just magically, like, oh my god, I'm such a good fucking cop. For being a drunk who wants to fucking kill himself, he is the most amazing fucking detective I've ever fucking seen in my life. We can just put it all together, we can just figure out what the fuck her name was, and nobody's fucking surprised. Kevin Pollock is so fucking deadpan here. Like, I would be like, what the fuck? How the fuck did you put all that shit together? Like, you ain't fucking Sherlock Holmes, okay? I ain't your fucking Watson, I'll tell you that fucking much. I'm not gonna be the one that's gonna be going around and being like, oh, way to go, Sherlock. I can't believe you solved the fucking case. No! What the fuck? How do you pull that out of the biggest, squarest, tiniest part of your fucking Austrian ass. What the fuck is going on with this film? (sighs) So we go back over to Christine York. If you didn't know, that's her last fucking name, okay? And so 
we see her and she's busy on a treadmill all working out and then her servant comes over and is like madam you have to get ready you have to go meet somebody or some shit like that and she's like oh okay because she's a learning an italian too and so she goes and gets ready we get some side boob for a second she's about to jump into the shower and then oh no the help is dead and then all of a sudden, a bunch of people rush in the room and try to hold her down so they can stab her and kill her. Meanwhile, she's yelling for help. She's yelling it so goddamn loud that nobody but the people who are meant to come and fucking help her will even notice. Like her neighbors, uh, the other random people on the street. Nobody. Nobody goes to try and fucking help her except for that Chicago and Jericho just happen to be walking by at that time and hear her yell for help. And then there's a pretty interesting action sequence that goes on where... Christine honestly is better than most damsels in distress because she's able to fight most of them off. Each one actually gets one. Chicago gets to get, do like a firefight with one guy. Uh, Jericho, he gets to do some type of like Greco-Roman wrestling, just not naked and oiled up. But he gets to throw the guy down the stairs. And then she actually fends off the guy that's trying to stab her. She's even smart at one point when they're backing her into the room and she purposely takes like a piece of furniture and throws it out the window just to make them think that she jumped out the window too. But again, that loud crash of fucking furniture busting apart when it hits the ground, nobody, nobody does anything like, what the fuck is going on? Instead, it's got to be them coming to save the day, which they eventually do. And Arnold manages to grab a necklace that's like a heart with a sword through it. And then, you know, he starts trying to piece everything together when the cops arrive and try to help Christine kind of settle everything down while her stepmother comes into this situation. He's also trying to, like, figure out how exactly can the father be connected to these people. And he actually finds a connection to her because he finds the same music box that his daughter had in her possession. They relax me, you want one? Oh, no, thanks. I drink. My little girl had one just like it. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah? You snooped through her stuff without asking to? When I was looking for something. What are you looking for? A connection. Most days I don't feel connected to anyone. I noticed a lot of religious books outside. Oh, they're my stepmother's. Is she a big believer? No, not really. It's mostly just kind of like a hobby with her. Do you know a priest by the name of Thomas Aquinas? No. Is that your connection, religion? I've seen a lot of attempted murders, but I've never seen anyone perform the last rites before. Christine! In here! Are you all right? Oh, my God, I just heard what happened. They hurt you. I'm okay. Well, Carson, I know. I'm just so glad you came along when you did. Thanks. What we do learn out of this situation is that when her mom died unexpectedly when she was younger, uh, the nurse from there actually married the dad. And then the dad died, and so she's the sole protector of this girl. Now, nothing like it's, you know 
freaky or anything like you shouldn't be suspecting her if all of a sudden the mom dies and then he marries that of course we don't know what the dad actually looks like and who knows if the dad was a satanist too and just figured out that this is the person that i need to fuck to make sure that you know it brings upon this girl that's going to be satan's fuck toy for the rest of well our days until the end of our days if you might but seriously like who would just get with this lady? Like, I saw the lady that was giving birth in the beginning, and, and I know, I know, this is probably me being mean to somebody else, but honestly, like, the difference between the two is night and fucking day, unless she has magic fucking Satan powers that make her, like, way powerful and overbearing, and you can't get away with it, and she can just, like, give you those Dracula 2000 fuck-me eyes, you know, it's... It's impossible. Like, I wouldn't give up the mother of my child and all of a sudden be like, okay, maybe there's like a loving thing because she came in and she's like, oh, I'm going to take care of you and take care of your daughter while you're dealing with this. And then slowly, surely did like the babysitter type thing and ended up being with the dad. But she was left everything that the dad had and now she's living the comfort life of a Satanist that's basically grooming Satan's fuck toy to be Satan's fuck toy. Oh, this is so ridiculous when you sit down and think about it. The other thing that happens in this scene is that Arnold steals a book from the stepmother's collection. Once again, he is stealing like evidence from the fucking crime scene or stuff that he believes is going to help him figure out what's going on. Over that night, him and Chicago, they plant a car outside of the house to watch out and see what's going on basically keep surveillance on her and see if something else pops up he figures something out while he's reading the books and he decides to go over to the house and talk to christine and try to figure out the reason why these men would have attacked her inside of her house I took this from one of your attackers did you show that to the police no I did, which just ended up in a small plastic envelope on one of the large shelves. That's pretty cynical. Well, I put a few of those envelopes up in that large shelf myself. I used to be a cop. Now, this amulet is from a Masonic order and a former sub-herald of the Vatican Knights. The Knights of the Holy See. They await the return of the Dark Angel to Earth. So, the men that attacked me are devil worshippers? No. This says that the good guys, they're the ones that's supposed to stop the devil worshippers. Those were the good guys? What does that have to do with me? I'm sorry. I have a medical condition. Sometimes I see things that aren't there. No. I saw it too. So, of course, now he can see the random things that she can see, too. So she feels a little less crazy. Meanwhile, on the outside, we see that Satan is walking up to the house because... Well, see, before this, and I totally skipped over this little section. They were trying to get uh, them to bring... Well, the lady to bring Christine to this special temple that's a closed-down theater uh, for... Satan. Satan sees walking around the town. He sees all the signs and he figures out where the damn temple is. And when Udo can't convince the stepmother to bring her to the location because she's being watched, Satan just punches him right through the fucking face. I mean, literally turns around and there's a fist through Udo's face and we never see him again for the rest of the movie because Satan sent him straight into hell with that punch. 
So he basically is going over to pick up Christine for himself because, hey, if you want something done right and you're Satan, why don't you just go fucking get her yourself? He sees that the van is waiting there and Chicago's inside, so he decides to kind of sneak around it, and then he goes up to the side of a building and starts peeing on it. Of course, we see the pee trickle down into the street and then slowly go over by the car. And that's when Satan lights up a cigarette and he throws the cigarette into the pee, causing a giant line of fire and causing the car that Chicago is sitting in, well, the van, I should say, to explode right as Chicago is getting out of the van. It also causes across the street another police car to explode, which startles everybody. I should also mention that in that clip, the startling that happened was because when they were like looking down at Apple, all of a sudden there are all these little people on the Apple, and it was straight out of like a scene of hell or something like that. So back in the house, after the explosions happen, the stepmother steps in and she begins to say, you need to go with me now, and Arnold, of course, doesn't want her to go. This causes the mother to show, well, there's the incredible strength that I was talking about. Basically, she starts kicking the crap out of Jericho, slamming a piano into her, talking about how she's so ungrateful that she's, you know, she's taken care of her for all of these years, and this is how she gets repaid. Uh, Arnold is able to fight her off. They run away. Satan comes in and actually kills her. He says that you've had one thing that you had to do and you couldn't even fucking do it. Which was just basically bring her to the goddamn place. Of course, you know, if they followed her to there, she didn't want people to know where the temple was. But as we find out later, it's really easy for anybody to find that place. Arnold runs uh, into the alleyways, and then he's confronted by his friend Maggie, uh, as well as one of the other cops, and they basically stop them in the alley. We find out that, hey, even the cops are working for fucking Satan, so Satanists have gotten into the force. He tries to reason with them, and of course, before, uh, you know, they can shoot and kill him, he manages to pull two guns out of his pockets. Uh, well, his sleeves, I should say, because he puts his hands on his head, pulls out the guns, and blows the two of them away. They run off, off into the woods. Satan, of course, comes by and, and says, well, I don't need you anymore, but I still need uh, Maggie. And so he brings her back to life. In the forest, we see that uh, Jericho and Christine are talking, and Jericho wants to know exactly what's going on and how he knows, or... I should say, she knows Satan. Get out. My best friend is dead. Everyone is trying to kill us. I just shot two cops. Why is everyone after you? Huh? I don't know. I swear, I don't know. No. Why is this happening? I know it's my fault. I just don't know why. That man on the stairs. What do you know about him? Nothing. Oh, come on. I saw your face. You recognized him. I don't, I don't talk about it. No. I've seen him before. In my dreams. In your dreams? They're, they're nightmares, really. He, um, he takes me and, and he makes love to me. I've been making love to him my whole life. I thought I was crazy, but he was never real before tonight. Oh, he's real. I've seen him before. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. I won't let him do any harm to you. I'm afraid of me. I'm afraid that if I see him, if he tries to take me, I'm going to want him too. So he decides the best thing to do is to take her over to the church where Father Thomas was at. 
and maybe they could find some answers that way. He takes him over to the church. He first tries to get, like, he doesn't want him in there, the father that's there, that was the friend of Father Thomas, until he mentions the Vatican Knights. Well, first he pulls a gun on the poor priest and basically says, you don't need to use that gun here. And he really doesn't. They probably would have been okay with it if he just explained what was going on. But, of course, Jericho being Arnold, Arnold being Jericho, he needs to force the answer out of him. So he asks him what exactly the Vatican Knights were. You don't need that. You have no enemies here. I'm not so sure about that. This girl was just attacked by your people. Your Vatican Knights almost killed her. Vatican Knights? Oh, my God. Well, they're not my people. They think they're doing God's work, but they're not. I want to know what's going on, and I want to know right now. All right, put the gun away. Did anybody see you come? No. Good. We should be safe here. According to the scriptures... He can't see inside of the house of God. Who can't? Maybe now you're ready to believe. So he takes them downstairs, and we see the lady that had stigmata earlier. She's now up on her feet, no longer bleeding from everything, but she's still talking in tongues. And the priest's computers are working a mile a minute, like it's fucking Google Translate or something, and writing out exactly the prophecy that she is saying with the words that are coming out of her mouth that nobody can really understand. That's when the father here starts to explain everything that's going on, and I feel like I'm watching the fucking Stonecutters episode of The Simpsons. She's a Polish peasant. She fell into a trance about two weeks ago, and then she began to speak in a language she couldn't possibly have known, and she made a prophecy about end of days. End of days. Of man's destruction and the unholy's reign upon the earth. Why don't you just stop all this church talk and tell us what the hell is going on? Who's after her? Well, if you'll excuse me, I'll try to explain. Do you know anything about the number of the beast? Revelation of St. John from his dream? 666? The number of the beast is not 666. Often in dreams, numbers appear upside down and backward. So 666 becomes 999, like in 1999, the year of his return. What does that have to do with me? Regressus Diabli, the return of Satan. Does any of this look familiar to you? So she's got the special mark on her, just like Homer had in his fucking ass. And that means that they're the chosen one, okay? Except for Homer, he wasn't going to get fucked by Satan. He was going to get everything that he needed and everything that he wanted coming to him. And he actually got to belong to the group. Instead, she goes ahead and she's just, you know, Satan's fucking cum rag is all she really is to him. And so they show the symbols, they show the symbol on her arm, they try to figure out what else, you know, he could possibly want. And then there becomes the debate between Jericho and the priest. Basically, Jericho still doesn't believe in anything that has to do with religion, and the priest really wants to let him, you know, basically know that faith is the way that this is all going to go right. So, of course, she has to make a choice of who she's going to stay with, and she definitely makes her choice clear. He's in her blood. The Holy Church has been searching for you since the day you were born. Chosen for what? Every thousand years on the eve of the millennium, the dark angel comes and takes a body, and then he walks the earth looking for a woman who will bear his child. It all has to happen in that unholy hour before midnight on New Year's Eve. 
If he consummates your flesh with this human body, then he unlocks the gate of hell and everything as we know it ceases to exist. So the Prince of Darkness wants to conquer the Earth, but he has to wait until an hour before midnight of New Year's Eve. Is this Eastern time? It's got nothing to do with New Year's Eve. It has to do with the temporary celestial alignment. The Gregorian monks studied the heavens. They were able to calculate the precise moment of this event. They created our calendar by mapping this event and counting backwards from that moment. I think it was a mistake to come here. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not, he's real and he won't rest till he finds this girl. Why'd he pick me? Because the stars were right when you were born. A man's body was also chosen, just like yours. If the devil does exist, why doesn't your God do anything? It's not my God, it's our God, and he doesn't say that he will save us. He says that we will save ourselves. Save myself? What am I supposed to do, get a restraining order? We have to have faith. Faith. Yes, faith. It's an interesting concept. If you read the Bible, you can't miss it. Faith. Between your faith and my Glock 9mm, I take my Glock. Come, let's go. Well, I'm afraid it takes a person of pure heart to defeat pure evil. You did your job, you brought her here to people of faith, we'll protect her, we'll hide her. You know, you live in a different world. We have some real serious problems here, and this is not solving them. Satan's greatest trick was convincing man he didn't exist. all feels true to me. You'll be safer with me. At least I can fight this guy with something real. What's funny when he says, well, I'll take my Glock, it actually looks like Jericho is grabbing his cock instead. It's very, very low. He's grabbing his jacket pocket rather than grabbing like the inside or like the side of his belt. But it really looks like he's grabbing his penis and he's basically saying, look, I can fuck whip Satan with my dick, okay? I will beat the shit out of this guy because he doesn't really believe that it's actually something supernatural. So instead, he goes back home and leaves Christine with the priests and the order that's there. Back at Jericho's apartment, he enters and he starts chugging down another bottle of vodka. And that's when he's approached by Satan. Now, this is really some of my favorite parts of the scene. And it's when they let Gabriel Byrne actually have like a lot of fun with the character. And I think that like the whole this whole section and there's like an hour left of this movie at this point. A little under an hour. And we finally get to experience like Gabriel Byrne as Satan in its full fledged glory. We've already had like little things. If we were just going to leave Satan as this kind of low spoken, uh, a couple of lines here and brooding type of character just to be afraid of, we already have that. That's great. And we could have done with that. And the final battle could be on its way, but instead we get another like 40 fucking minutes of crap that happens, but in these, like, 40 fucking minutes before the final fucking battle, we get some of my favorite fucking representations of Satan. Second only, in my opinion, to Peter Stormare when he did his representation in Constantine. It was so good, and I think Gabriel Byrne really fucking portrays this version of Satan extremely well. You see, he's somehow gotten into Jericho's apartment, and he tries to convince Jericho that, hey, you should just give me the girl. It gets easier when you accept what you are. 
A fallen soul. <laughs> Door's locked. No windows broken. How did I get in here? Who the fuck are you? Oh, I think you know who I am. You just don't want to believe it. I took a bullet for you. I protected you. Oh, no, no, you didn't protect me. You protected this uh, body. Am I, am I getting a pattern here? Too much pain. Not to be taken with alcohol. Remember that. Oh, to lose a wife and child. I can't even imagine what that must be like. What do you want? To make you happy again. It's here that he begins to start showing Jericho visions of his wife and child when they were alive and trying to convince him to come over to his side. He gives him the image of a Christmas tree, which has a really kind of shitty effect that they use. It like kind of weirdly materializes into view with some type of weird, like the same way that they show Satan in the beginning. Basically, it slowly fades into a Christmas tree as he begins to approach it. He then begins to hear sounds of his wife and child inside the bathroom, and the child is wondering why Dad hasn't come home yet. You see, Dad, at this point, was still a cop, and he was out on the beat, and he couldn't be there for his poor family, and then, you know, something bad had to happen. But of course, we're here to see Satan try to convince Jericho that he needs to give up the girl, and if he doesn't, maybe he needs a harsh reminder exactly what happened to him. I can give it all back to you. Everything that he took away. Everything. You can hold your wife again. You can watch your daughter walk through the door in her prom dress. All you have to do is tell me where the girl is. Oh, come on. She's a nobody to you. You don't even know her. You're in the middle of something you don't really understand. You think you're saving her from me? She wants to be with me. You know that. So what did you do in school today? You think I'd harm her? I treat her like a queen. You told me once you do anything to get your family back. You want them? This is your chance. They're in the drill. Does that matter? Oh, yes. I think you need to be reminded of how painful reality is. And that's when you see the home invasion happen. And we don't know exactly any of the backstory. All I know is that one of them looks like fucking Billy Crystal. So I don't know what Billy Crystal is doing in there fucking ransacking Arnold's house. But he probably fucked with the wrong guy. And I'm assuming that he probably got his ass thrown out the window. Of course, he probably went on to do about five other Oscar shows as there were. So we see them basically get rounded up and then they get fucking obliterated in the bedroom. It's just fucking, here we are, we're going to execute the daughter and execute the, the mother that's there. There really isn't any other information that we know about this. I mean, was he involved with a case that he ended up having a hit put out on his kid and his wife to teach him a fucking lesson? Are they bad cops? Like, why exactly did this happen to him and make him lose faith? Like, he thought he was doing such a good job of being a cop and stopping all this crime, but he wasn't able to stop these two from breaking into the apartment and killing them? Because it's not like 
they just were like, we're robbing the place, and they just happened to be there. They round up the mother and the daughter, put them in the bedroom, and then all you hear is fucking gunshots. You don't hear anything else. So this was a fucking execution. And you're telling me there's nothing, there's no little bit of it that you could maybe write into here to explain why it happened, even if he fucking is just like, you know, oh, I had to put those guys away. Just fucking something. But... They don't. And so, you know, Jericho realizes that he doesn't really want to do this. He doesn't want to give in, give up the girl that he's basically fought so much for. His fucking best friend, the world fucking died. And, you know, so he turns on Satan and shoots him. But, of course, Satan, his wounds heal. He grabs Jericho by the neck. And then he hangs him out the window. Tells him that he's going to drop him unless he gives him the girl. He basically doesn't want to give him the girl. He does drop him. Arnold grabs onto the windowsill with the glass going through his fucking hands and then we see that uh, satan is standing on top of him basically pushing his hand further through the glass uh trying to get him to drop and basically says hey grab my hand and you can come back in uh jericho tricks satan somehow satan is dumb enough to fall for the oldest fucking trick in the book and he grabs Satan and tosses him into the street, and Satan lands on a car. Uh, he goes back in the house, starts bandaging himself up, and then he hears a knock at the door. And who could that be? Hey. Hey. I thought you were dead. A couple of seconds, I would have been. All I remember is stepping out of the van, then I woke up in the fucking gutter. What the hell are you doing here? What are you talking about? I've been looking for you all night. What the hell happened to you? Hey, hey, hey! I can't trust you. All right, look. I don't know what you had to drink, okay? But let's not point the gun at me. I just need to know. You need to know what? That you are you. Of course I'm me. What the hell are you talking about? You took his body. All right. You're ill, okay? You need some help, all right? Ah, fuck! Jesus! Fuck. You're bleeding. Of course I'm bleeding. You fucking shot me! I just needed to find out. Well, you found out, okay? Stop being such a pussy. Pussy? Come on. It's just a scratch. Oh, Christ. Does it hurt? Yeah. What do you think? Jesus, what the hell's the matter with you? What's going on here? can't explain. Okay, what I don't get about this scene is how easily Arnold is fucking fooled. Like, he knows that his best friend is dead because he told his... Like or he told Christine, not his Christine, Jesus fucking Christ. But he told Christine that, hey, I just shot two cops. My best friend is dead. What the fuck is going on? And here, it's like, all of a sudden, Chicago shows fucking back up. Here he is. And we know, as an audience, are we supposed to be tricked into this? Is my question. That while I was watching it, like, there's no way that anybody should be tricked. And they should know exactly what's going to fucking happen. Because of one other thing that has gone on. And it wasn't very long ago. Satan can rise the dead back. He brought back that one bitch. And she's out there because he needed to use her. And now, all of a sudden, here's Chicago. And we're not supposed to think, yeah, he stepped out. But he got engulfed in a ball of 
fucking flame. So when he fucking turns on him later on in the movie, it's not a fucking surprise. I don't care. I'm not going to act at this point like, oh, there's a twist. This isn't an M. Night Shyamalan fucking movie where it's a twist that maybe you don't see coming. But I see this one fucking coming from a mile away because the guy died and Satan can bring people back. He was engulfed in flame and even Arnold didn't bother to look and see if his friend was there. One, so he doesn't know if the body's gone and he's assuming that he's dead. So Arnold, you should know that he's fucking dead. Oh boy. It's just annoying. So from here, he basically devises a plan and a way to get Christine because they need to basically protect her from Satan until the next day. Like, remember, an hour before midnight strikes, Satan needs to fill her with his juices and then everything's going to happen according to plan. The world's going to end. He's going to have his Satan baby. She's going to give birth to the rape Antichrist, and then the world's going to end, and it's going to be the end of days, and everybody's going to be fucking happy because idiots are going to be wiped off the fucking earth. So he goes back to the church, and he basically tries to convince them to let Christine come with him. And guess who decides to show up into the church other than fucking Satan himself. How much longer, Father? Well, he has to sire his child between 11 and midnight tomorrow night. So we must keep you hidden till that hour passes. We've come to help. Your eminence. In this hour of darkness, we need all the help we can get. How's the girl? Girl's fine, thanks. No. No! Father! Father, they're the ones who tried to kill me! No! Eminence, what are you doing? Let us allow this union to take place. You can't! You must let go! There's only one life. How many lives are you prepared to end if we do nothing? No! That's not who we are. Of course it is. We are doing God's work. We are preventing the end of days. But you can't prevent evil by doing evil. There is no time. No! It's the only way. No! May God forgive us! Okay, I know you were thinking. You were thinking that Satan was going to show up. But psych, I tricked you. Uh... The question I have here with this scene is really their plan. Is there anything wrong with them actually killing her? Like, does he get a pass? Like, can he still fuck the corpse and the body can still, like, regenerate the fucking Antichrist and spit it out of her dead vagina? I mean, what's the problem with actually killing her? It doesn't seem like anything bad is actually going to happen there. uh, Other than them saying they can't do evil or get rid of evil by doing evil. Okay, I get it, because it's going to damn him for life, but he's really, like, kind of got the right idea, right? Kill her maybe burn the corpse mutilate the fucking body do something like a monster would do fucking get a bathtub full of 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 hydrochloric acid and melt it down satan can't fuck that shit of course maybe he was in his demon form then he could stick his dick through the acid and it wouldn't do anything but if he tried to use the male dick and tried to use his satan sperm through that they're on a fucking burn up on impact of the acid right so 
what's wrong? Or maybe you just make an extremely strong kryptonite style like chastity belt. That's even better than fucking killing her, right? If you can't, or put her on the fucking pill. He can't sire if she's on the fucking pill, right? Unless for some reason Satan's sperm is more potent than that 99.9%. Or she, you know, forgot to take her fucking pill. So then, you know, the fuck, we're fucked anyway. But... There's got to be ways to, like, protect that badge from Satan's penis going inside. You know, just fucking, like, make it like a razor tube. Make it like a jigsaw trap. Wouldn't that be fucking great? Like, she just has these random teeth in there, and he sticks his dick in, and then all of a sudden, when he tries to pull it out, it just rips it the right the fuck off. I mean, there, there's no such thing, unless he fucking, you know, realizes what's going on, fucking jerks it, and then just sticks it in on the last thing right before he spurts, but honestly, there there probably are better ways of killing her, but killing her is not a bad deal. Of course, at the end, Jericho manages to shoot the knife, man, that guy's got a really good fucking shot, and then shoot uh, the poor cardinal through the hand so that he drops the rest of the knife that's still fucking there and can still fucking kill her. While they're fighting here, now guess who shows up? Yes, just who you thought. It's Satan. I've come for my wife. This is the house of the Lord our God, and you are not welcome here. I can stand the pain of being in church. How much pain can you bear? Christine, come to me. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the answer to your prayers. In the name of God, I order you to leave here now. May the wrath of God destroy you. That's right, Satan. Just bitch slap all of them. Because, oh, he can't see inside the house of God. Guess what he just did? Walked into the house of God and fucking beat everybody down. He kills the cardinal. He kills one of the priests. But he doesn't manage to kill Rod Steiger's priest. Uh, Arnold takes Christine and tries to run away, but he's swamped by a mob outside who ends up ultimately beating the shit out of him. He puts her in the car with Kevin Pollock's Chicago, and then, of course, when he tries to get in the car, oh, here's the twist, he works for Satan now, and he drives off without her, leaving the people basically to beat down poor Arnold and then stick him up on the, like, basically on the building crucified. Uh, As everything fades away and all the satanists leave we get the last radio spot of the movie which signifies the final chapter of the film world religious leaders have asked their followers to prepare for the new millennium not with celebrating and partying but rather with acts of kindness compassion this is it new york the very last day of the first two thousand years all right so now it's the last day we're finally ready to go and maybe we're going to see some finally really big fucking arnold on satan action wouldn't that be wonderful so i guess jericho's been hanging all night in the crucifix stage because the father comes out and rod steiger's father and gets him pulled down and taken care of by the other members that are remaining in the church day slowly fades into night and then we see that arnold has now wakened up and he's wondering what the hell is going on uh, and it turns out that he's been asleep all day, and it's 7 o'clock at night. So they have four hours, basically, to get the girl out of Satan's clutches. Jericho decides that he's going to go back to Steel because he knows exactly where they got the limo that was going to be used to protect the girl. He's able to trace down where Chicago went, 
and traces the car to where the temple is in that rundown cinema. He goes inside. There's kind of a funny scene where he tries to sneak in, but there's like a guard that has his face, uh, well, his eyes all sewn shut together. And he says, do you want to pass? And Jericho says, yes. He kind of sniffs over him for a second, at least that's what it seems like, and realizes there's a lot of anger and vengeance in his heart. And he says, you can go on right through. He tries to blend into the crowd, but it's awfully hard when he's the most buff fucking Austrian in the whole place, and people actually know him that work for fucking Satan now, like Chicago, like the detective from earlier who does spot him. We see that Christine, she's draped in some black fucking like lingerie thing, because I guess Satan has got taste, and he wants to make sure that ass looks good in something before he tears it up. And so he basically gets to the point uh, where... He's about to get it on with her, and then he hears gunshots. And it turns out that you think that uh, the detective who figured out where fucking Jericho was in the crowd, because, again, not fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger, not the biggest, beefiest guy out of the whole fucking room, uh, but it turns out instead of her shooting Jericho, Jericho actually has killed her, and then he manages to get Christine and hold her hostage. He says he's going to kill her. Of course, Satan knows, and we know, that he's not going to do that because he's not that big of a dick. And he kind of cares for her because he reminds him of his daughter, and he wants to see this all the way through to the end. So, in an effort to get him to stop and just let the girl go, guess who pops out and fucking, like, points his gun at Jericho? It's another than Chicago, except for, wait a second... What the fuck is his actual name? Let her go, Jerry. Uh, don't look at me like that. You'd be amazed what you agree to when you're on fire. Don't do it, Bobby. You're better than this. You're better than him. You know, considering how you've lived your life, when this is all over, what makes you think you're going upstairs anyways? Huh? Come on, Jerry. This is the main event. It's gonna happen. Why shouldn't you have the best seats in the house? You will never get a shot off, and you know it. Don't do it. Bobby. I thought we had a deal. Bobby. So his name is fucking Bobby? Like, everything else hit Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Now it's fucking Bobby. Like, did they just fuck up one day? They never said his name in the entire fucking movie for this fucking reason? Because Arnold Schwarzenegger could not remember that his name was fucking Chicago and called him fucking Bobby? And this, is again, is another one of those parts of the worst fucking twists in one of these fucking type of movies. Here he comes. Oh, he's not going to be able to shoot him. Or, or, or is he? Or is he not? Is he? Oh, my God. I can't believe he's actually... Oh, my God. He didn't shoot him and Satan set his ass back on fire. Oh, my God. I can't believe that fucking happened. Of course, he cares more about his friend than fucking the end of the world, okay? Yeah, he realized that maybe I fucked up and I shouldn't have done what I did. And I should have just stayed fucking dead instead of getting my life back together and basically helping Satan achieve his goal of putting his baby spunk inside of a womb. So... He ends up running off with Christine, and then there's an interesting chase scene that kind of goes on here. A bunch of Satanists try to follow, they fight them off, and then they get onto a subway car. 
It's when they get on the car that there's a weird bonding moment between Jericho and Christine. I feel a lot better if you show me how to use one of those things. I want to do something. Let me help. All right, yeah. You take the gun. Line up the side with your target. Beware of the recoil. Here's the magazine. Put it in. Load. Only pull the trigger when you're ready to... They basically get the conductor to start speeding up the train, and then you see Satan get onto the track and tries to block the train from actually moving forward. This doesn't work because Jericho decides that he's going to boost the train to go really, really fast and knock Satan out, either by running him over and maybe knocking him over the train, or maybe even possibly killing him. But of course, as we figured out so far, Satan isn't very easy to kill. In fact, he's really fucking hard to get rid of. Well, of course, they don't knock Satan down, and instead there's this weird kind of like cat and mouse game that goes on with Satan pushing his hands through the bottom of the cart and them fighting him off, shooting at him. And then all of a sudden the conductor looks and he gets a hand right through his chest and we see Satan holding his beating heart and then he pulls him out of there. They figure they need to run back to the last car and they do and they need to detach that car. Well, that's what Jericho figures so that so they can get away from Satan. Uh, he manages to do it, but it separates a little too far, but he has to run and jump to get over to the last car, which he manages to do. Satan is then appearing in the final car and starts running after them. He goes to jump and leap and join them in the third car, but Jericho shoots like a grenade round, hits him right in the chest, and causes him to fly into the car, blowing it up and creating a bunch of mess inside a very, very fucking empty New York subway system. I mean, this subway car alone has absolutely no people. What subway car on New Year's Eve is not going to have anybody going to a place that's going to happen? It's 11 o'clock, but there's got to be a lot of people trying to get in positions to go watch the ball drop in Times Square or just go fucking anywhere. Instead, everything is fucking empty, and even the station that they crash into is completely fucking empty. And it manages to be near the church that we've been at for the entire fucking movie. One of the only places when they finally fucking get in there, it turns out that there's a lot of fucking people. But before they get in there, of course, the third car has to crash into the cars that were there before. And instead of just trying to jump off the car and maybe get to safety, maybe you roll, maybe you hit your head on something, but you don't almost fucking die like they do in the film because... Of course, the cart manages to stop just before the end of it crumples and gets fucking destroyed. But really, you haven't been able to really do any damage to Satan at this point in the film. Who knows what you've done and why would you want to get close to his quote-unquote corpse instead of just figuring out how to fucking run away right away. So they run into the church and lock themselves inside, manage to get everybody to scoot out of there. And we go back and we see that Satan is on the ground and he's totally torn apart, at least the body of Gabriel Byrne, and that's when he lets out his rallying cry. Jericho! How can you expect to defeat me when you are but a man? So then he leaves the body because it's basically torn in half and he becomes Shadow Satan once again. 
We go into the church. They get everybody out, like I said. And now we're getting ready for the final fucking fight of the movie. That's right. This is the moment that you've all been waiting for. It's going to be fucking Arnold versus fucking Satan. We're going to see them. He's got all his guns. He's got everything he needs. Maybe he's going to be able to fight him off in time. We're going to get some fucking cool-ass explosions. And maybe Arnold's going to get thrown around. There's going to be a one-liner somewhere. He's going to shove a grenade in the fucking Satan's skull. And he's going to say something like, Don't lose your head over this. And then he's going to fucking blow it apart. But then it's going to come back together. And they're going to fight. And midnight's going to ring. And that's going to be it. And it's going to be end the movie. And man, Satan got thwarted. Man, this would be great if this was the fucking ending of the movie. (sighs) What we get is a very cool looking lead up scene. We see that everything is rumbling. We see that the pews get thrown everywhere. We see the bottom of the earth open up between the church. And then we get the dumbest looking fucking Satan that I've ever fucking seen. Who designed Satan this way? It's just a giant fucking bat with like a weird like cow skull. It it looks ugly. This is Satan. Satan's supposed to look cool. That doesn't look cool. And then there's just like Arnold with an oh shit face. Oh fuck me, I'm fucking fighting Satan. Then he gets thrown to the side. He gets thrown to another side. He makes a really fucking stupid face again. And then it stops. That's it. That's all you get of Arnold versus Satan. I mean, yeah, I guess you saw them fighting each other when he was Gabriel Byrne, but I wanted to see him fucking fight the devil. This was the whole lead up to this. I was waiting for it. I sat through the rest of this. I dealt with stupid plot holes. I dealt with stupid things of not going on. I wanted to see fucking satan and arnold schwarzenegger fight that is the reason why i paid a ticket and that is why i deserve not this fucking thing where we're gonna make believe that oh hey christine guess who's really in fucking arnold's body are you gonna believe him when he says this christine jericho Are you alright? What happened? That's what we want. We want. Let's go. I get it. We live in a day of cell phones right now where we can just reach in our pocket and figure out what the time is. But does nobody have a fucking watch? Couldn't she figure out that, hey, it's not quite midnight yet? There was a giant fucking explosion. I saw a giant fucking, like, you know, shadow of a bat type thing, which I might have thought was Satan. I didn't hide very well either. Satan could have easily found me. And you know what? Satan needs a human body to fuck me to make this thing happen. And no, there's nobody else here. It's not fucking midnight yet. And yeah, we somehow won because Satan fucking disappeared. So, of course, he pulls over and he's going to go ahead and fuck in front of Jesus and make Jesus watch as Satan brings the end of days upon all people. But, of course, Jericho himself has other plans. You died for nothing. I just bought the time. Please, you have to fight him, Jericho. I know you. You're stronger than he is. I 
Of course, that's when Jericho slowly takes over the body himself and realizes that one of the angel statues that fell over from the whole thing that Satan caused, there's a sword that's sticking up perfectly, and he may be able to actually do something about it. So he wrestles with the devil inside of him. There's a metaphorical battle going on inside, and this is like the 12th fucking step, right? The first step is admitting that you have a problem. The second step is admitting that you have a problem and you have have to take care of it then the 11th fucking step is to get possessed by satan after you've given yourself to god and then the last fucking step is to impale yourself on the goddamn sword so you can stop satan from taking over the world and bringing upon the end of days and killing yourself because you're planning on doing that anyway by drinking all that fucking alcohol that's the 12th fucking step people okay killing yourself in the name of humanity and god and making this movie end fucking horribly you don't care about arnold you know there's nothing redeeming about him other than he's got these weird connections to her and the fact that he kind of views her like a daughter you get the connection between the two of them but at the same time she's like i understand you you've only known this guy for what maybe five hours out of two days and you know him are you just trying to say that? Like, what the hell is going on? Ugh. So, of course, Arnold slips away. Satan is foiled. We get a thank you from Christine to Jericho. And the film fucking ends. was end of days i there are a lot of problems with this movie uh, honestly some of it are the big plot holes that kind of go through the backstory of jericho i really wish and i do believe with if it was siskel and ebert or was somebody else i just don't trust the the care not trust the character i don't feel any compassion for the character even when he gives up his own life it's just kind of like well what else is he gonna fucking do like he couldn't just have the struggle and just fucking stop satan yeah you're gonna be possessed by satan for a little while but maybe when the clock strikes midnight you no longer have to worry about it instead you just gotta stab yourself and fucking die that's it and there's no, like I said, no big fight between even a CGI Satan and fucking Jericho. That's what I wanted to see. I was waiting for it. That's what my little teenage mind thought when I saw this. I thought, man, this is going to be Arnold versus Satan. And I really need to see Satan come in there and beat the crap out of Arnold. And Arnold beat the crap out of Satan. Like, it, 
it just turned into less of an action flick at that point and less of a horror movie and just was like uh it's an internal struggle between the two of them uh and and you know it it still pains me that they can't call gabriel burns character just call him satan they mentioned satan at least once uh and they don't like fucking just call him for what he is if you just call him in the beginning well what is he well he's fucking satan okay and this is what satan wants to do don't be so fucking cryptic about everything just come out and fucking say it why can't you say the devil is trying to fuck her and if we don't stop her from fucking then we'll you know the world's gonna fucking end that's it done there's so many ways they could have hidden her there there absolutely nobody is stopping shit around here all we have are just empty fucking streets or if there are streets filled with people you know we have nothing they don't do any other things the only time that we see a ton of people in here is honest to god i believe stock footage of a new year's eve scene like they could have taken that from ghostbusters that could have been the crowd from fucking ghostbusters 2 partying down there and we might not ever fucking know because it actually isn't really shot that way it's just amazing that there are things that needed to be in this film that weren't but at the same time this movie is stupid fun. Like, it is ridiculously entertaining. Even if, uh, you know, from the bad acting of Arnold Schwarzenegger to the way Kevin Pollock's character is, this is a so bad it's good film. I really enjoy this film, even with all the crap that I talk about it. I don't know why. Even rewatching it now, I liked it better. I mean, being really upset when I got out of the theater and, uh, I just was like, man, because I was waiting for that one thing, as I've talked about a lot in the last couple minutes. But at the same time, I, like, seeing this again, Gabriel Byrne is so fucking cool. There's, these scenes that I've played for you here are just kind of, like, touching the surface of just the demeanor. The You can see in his face, he's having so much fun just being this character, being able to do what he wants. But that really doesn't come out after until after, like, the hour mark. There's a cool collective, and then there's the, you can't do anything to stop me, why are you still fighting me, type of character that I think is really fucking cool. I enjoyed him so much in this film that i felt that he should have had that type of attitude way earlier way earlier in the film than when it actually happened it shouldn't happen almost 40 something minutes into the fucking movie it should have been right there from the start even when he does the silicon bomb thing to the one girl to blow up the restaurant it still doesn't quite get me it was just a little jarring and off like why would you do that like the first thing that happens that when satan comes to earth is he's like I need to make sure to grab me some tit and make out with somebody. Doesn't make any sense to me. I, I just don't get it. Like, again, that's just another one of those cold opens that could have had. And, and did we really need them in the beginning? And do we need that fucking scene? I don't think so. I think we could have started... I mean, if you just started there, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe. But it's just... Uh, there are some bad things in this, but some of those bad things are actually pretty fucking amazing and very, very entertaining in this film. So, how do I rate this film? 
Well, for the gore factor of the film, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. Because the punching in the face scene, the scene that you see him punch through the chest and grab the heart, those are really good effects. And really, the way the punching the face scene is probably my favorite effect that they did. Because they made it seem very seamless for the time. Because you know that it's a stop cut in the way that they do it, right? Because there's his face, he turns around, he punches right through it. And so there's got to be a moment where there's the stand-in and then all of a sudden they paused it for a second and his hand physically went through something. There's no CGI and it looks fucking great. I really enjoyed it. You know, you also got the scene with Father Thomas hanging from the ceiling. That looks great. You have, uh, you know... The weird CG between the two girls is kind of weird, but it looks really good. The practical effects do, even with Gabriel Byrne when his body is torn in half and you see him kind of a charred skeletal mess down down there. It looks pretty good. The only one that doesn't look good is when Schwarzenegger impales himself on the sword. It looks kind of cheesy. Uh, because they actually probably used Schwarzenegger for that little jump rather than using a stunt double to do something else. Uh, so it gets a 3 out of 5. The crap factor, it's a 4 out of 5. There are some really poor performances in this movie, and not all of them come from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kevin Pollock, I love you, man. You are such a good actor. You are such a good, like, listening to you talk is fucking amazing. And. Then you come and do this, and it, this is obviously you just getting a buck. I've seen you do much better roles and crappier films than this, and I really wish that he had done better. A lot of the side characters are really crappy. Uh, they don't necessarily need to be in there. You know, there's the whole thing of him being a cop and his family dying. It's supposed to make us connect to the character of Jericho, and I just can never do that. I don't care when he kills himself. I totally should. You should be, this is your redeeming moment. You've done nothing right. You've been, I mean, like, wallowing in your own self-pity. And you know what? You're finally going to do something right. You're going to kill yourself to make sure that the world's okay, but there's nothing to prove that to me. All you are is fucking combated with everybody and not believing that faith can actually do something until the very end when Satan is proven to be real. In like the last 20 minutes to you, he's real. When he crucifies you, that's all of a sudden when you get your fucking faith back. So it's just really difficult and even with some of the priests the vatican knights i wish there was a little bit more with them and what was going on instead of just all of a sudden oh we're gonna show the guy up from the beginning of the movie hope you remembered who he was okay he was the only english-speaking guy in a room full of people speaking italian so uh that's my remaining reasons there but the fun factor i'm gonna give it a four out of five as well because as cheesy as it is there's a lot of good stunt work in this movie it's that 80s 90s arnold that i love so fucking much uh again gabriel byrne is fucking amazing as satan to me um your mileage may vary but i really enjoyed the character so it gets a very high rating so overall i'm gonna give this three and a half cliched backstories out of five So, I was going to give it higher, but the more I thought about it, you know what, three and a half sounds like a good number. I don't want to do three, I don't want to do four, so it's going to get that extra half uh, to make it going. So, your mileage may vary with this movie. I do recommend you go and see it. It's a little difficult to find because it's not readily available on any of the streaming services, except if you want to rent it or buy it, uh, you can watch it that way. But if you've never seen this film, and this is your first interaction with it, 
I would say go ahead and watch it. And, you know, you can... This is one of the ones where I'm not going to warn you in the beginning to say, stop, watch it, go. Um, But it's a film that I think that if you want to just have a good laugh and see what those cheesy end of the world, because it's going to be coming year 2000, another take and and not just being some type of like technological thing. I think it's worth a look. Um, And I do suggest everybody take a gander and watch this film. Now let's talk about the next film that we're going to watch and we're going to discuss on this podcast. And I think you're going to be a little surprised that I decided to go this way. And this is a total change from what I originally had planned, which we're still going to do. There's two movies we're going to do next month uh, that deal with supernatural forces. And one was recommended by a Facebook user, and the other one is one that I've wanted to talk about with people for a long time. And originally I was going to do that movie next, but then I realized something is coming out right before I would release this podcast on that Tuesday. I'm going to release this on the 26th of January in 2018. And something came out in, uh, well, October. Come back to take back Halloween. I believe you know his name. I believe you know his game. Why don't you take a listen to the trailer? Now the game's simple. Best ones are. You want the mercy? Play by the rules. Any identification on the victim? Puzzle piece. But she's has been dead for 10 years. It's not him. Can't be. This was on the body. The truth will set you free. Help! I'm chasing a dead man. Just running scared. The copycat. Live or die. The choice is yours. You know what happens if we don't follow the rules? The blood under the fingernails of our victim, John Kramer, the jigsaw killer. That's impossible. No, it's not creepy at all. That's right. For the next episode of the Terrible Terror podcast, I am going to go through Jigsaw. 
and it's being released a couple days before the podcast is set to release. So I'm going to be working my ass off to make sure that I get you guys the podcast on that Friday in the morning like I normally do. Uh, I know those last two episodes have been released a later, uh, but that's been personal life interfering with uh, me recording the podcast. So it is not yet available. It does not release until the 23rd of January. So... If you're listening to this at a later date, you can definitely go pick it up and you can definitely listen to it uh, or watch it before you listen to this podcast. If not, if you have seen it, then you're in for a treat. If you haven't seen it, it's going to be one of those rare occasions where you're going to have to make the call. Either you decide that, hey, I'm going to listen to this before I watch it, um, or... I'm just going to go ahead and watch it before I listen to this. My recommendation is if you can find a way to watch it by that date, uh, the date that this releases, or shortly thereafter, watch it first and then listen to the podcast. So this is something that it's really a Hail Mary out of the middle of nowhere. I made the decision literally as I was recording this because I had another movie in mind that we were going to talk about next. And I'm sure that somebody uh, I know is going to be very excited that I'm going to be going through this film. Uh, The other thing that I do suggest that you do before you watch this podcast and um my friends over at Black Cat Shadow Podcast, their episode number 41, they talked to Pete Goldfinger, who is the writer of Jigsaw. And I suggest that you listen to that before you listen to this podcast. If you do not watch the movie, please go get that episode, go download, go listen to it, and listen to him talk about his decisions on how he wrote the movie. It's very interesting. They have a very good conversation about it. And then come back and listen to this. Or if you decide that you want to listen to this first, I implore you, please go over there and listen to that episode as well. Because it's a very good complimentary piece to this movie and I believe into my episode of the podcast. So, uh, as always, please follow the podcast on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. Facebook, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, uh, as well as you always can email me at terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Google Play, Blueberry, all the different pod- podcasting things that are out there. So please go ahead and check it out. Get ready for next week because we are delving into the Saw universe with the very last Saw movie to be made. Yeah, I know it's a little weird. Maybe I would have picked something like Saw 5, maybe Saw 3, not necessarily my favorite ones. Uh, And eventually I want to do Saw as an anniversary movie. I just don't know if it's going to be this or the next anniversary, one of the two, because I absolutely love that film. I don't think it's a bad movie. It started the horror porn movement or the torture porn, I should say, not horror porn. No, that would be like, it's not the monsters um, or it's not your dad's monsters or what do you want to call it? Uh, But it it definitely started a new genre of or made a new genre of horror popular um for its time i mean grindhouse style of horror so please watch jigsaw for the next episode and i will talk to you guys then peace with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.